Well, well, well. Welcome to your favorite Thursday podcast. I'm Nick Mitchell. And I'm Scott Tedford Barnes. And you are listening to Legends of Sportsball, an educational celebration of useless jock knowledge. Thank you for joining us. We have a very special episode today, don't we, Scotty? Lay it on me. Let's go for it. <laughs> July 7th is National Chocolate Day. Oh, chocolate. I love chocolate. <laughs> My kidneys don't, but I do. And then it is also, July 7th is also Global Forgiveness Day. Oh, So forgive somebody, but also remember, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you have to be friends with them again. Just give them chocolate, though. You can forgive them for you, for your own mental health, and then they can just fuck off for the rest of their lives. Yeah, you know. <laughs> also, it's a global, it's a global holiday global for, holiday. for observance, but how much, how often globally is there forgiveness? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna show up to, the, I'm gonna show up to the, a lot of different libraries. <laughs> <laughs> I needed these DVDs back then, but I don't need them now. Here you go. All right, we'll do Sky Scoreboard Stumper. We'll do our Flex Heel. We've got three notable jabronis. We'll get into our Hall of Fame inductee, Junko Tabai. Uh, we'll get our Scoreboard Stumper answer. We've got five people chasing the Mendoza line. We've got uh, Church. Um, we've got three shampoos. And then we'll send you on a merry little way. So without further ado, hit me baby one more time with that Scoreboard Stumper, Scotty. All right, so I noticed that for the month of June, a few few different players in baseball hit for the cycle, which is when you hit a single, a double, a triple, and a home run all in one game. So that got me scratching my head, and I wanted to know how many times in Major League Baseball history has a cycle been capped off with a walk-off home run? Ooh. Yeah, is it... Six times, 10 times, or 13 times? I'm going to say 13. Um, now that I've watched how many home runs guys can hit when they're really trying to hit a home run, I'm going to say when someone's up there, he's got a single, double, and triple already in the bag. He's swinging for the fences. So I'm going to say, um, I would say the least likely would be triple, but maybe not. Yeah, it's probably the hardest one to hit. It's, weirdly enough, I just want, want, to make, want to make a note. Kristen Yelich and um, Trey Turner both have three cycles in their career, which is the record. No one has more than that. Wow. And they're they're both active right now. So let's root for them to hit this for the cycle one more time. Yeah, one of them the has record. a chance to take over the all time race. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh we'll get that answer later after the deep dive on Junko. And uh moving on to Flex Seal of the Week. The super strong waterproof tape. That can instantly patch, bond, seal, and repair. Each week, we recognize a franchise transaction that in no way fills the needs of the organization. This week's Flex Seal of the Week is former Giants closer Sergio Romo, who signs a one-year deal with the Blue Jays. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not good. <laughs> 38 saves in 2013. Uh, last year, he had an ERA over eight. Yeah. Uh, this year, what's his ERA? Oh, it's over seven. <laughs> <laughs> they give him a one-year deal. Blue Jays are having issues, but um, I don't think adding Sergio Romo to your middle relief core is really going to do much. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe the experience will help the rest of the bullpen, but I mean... 
Feels like a classic Flex Seal PR move. It's been a long time Let's since. Put some butts in the Toronto stands. Yeah. <laughs> like, we got this guy who hasn't done shit in about four years. Go Blue Jays. <laughs> Go Jays. I will root, root for every Canadian team. <laughs> <laughs> While we still have them. All right, moving on to notable jabronis. Uh, first notable jabroni. Uh, Caitlin Marie Armstrong. Oh, yeah. Who's not an athlete. No. Um, <laughs> in a violent act of romantic jealousy, she murdered cyclist Anna Mariah Wilson and was captured in Costa Rica. Yeah, in Texas. She shot her in Texas. And um, tragic for Anna Mariah Wilson. She was a hell of an athlete. We will get into that in for Halloween. Oh, yeah. So um, on October 27th, you can catch our deep dive on Anna Mariah Wilson. Her but, life was cut short. Yeah, but like crime of passion. First of all, stop stop solving problems with guns, and that's not a pro. That's not a way to solve a problem. Um, a crime of passion, they call it. <laughs> a romantic jealousy. A romantic jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Kayla Marie Armstrong. We're done with you. Um, the justice. You're you're now. Um, the justice system's problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Hope it was worth it. All right. Moving on to our next notable jabroni, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, whew, who gave up nine players, including four first round draft picks to sign Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Who was jabbernized earlier uh, this season by us for saying that he could take Shaq in his prime. Yeah. One-on-one. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. That's cute. Um, yeah. Uh, so the T-Wolves take on um, a $204 million contract from Gobert, who's in his second season of it, of a five-year deal. Fresh off the heels of their other. And and Carl Anthony Towns just signed a four-year Supermax extension on Friday for $234 million. So they can't afford any first-round draft So enjoy, enjoy your two centers. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh wait, centers are cool to have again. We'll take two. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it makes sense defensively, but it's a huge risk. And the Utah Jazz are just cashing out on this. They're just laughing. They're going to have eight first round draft picks in the next four years. If you if you hit on half of those guys, you stand to have a really strong franchise for the next decade. So yeah. So shampoo to you, Jazz, in light of the jabronization of the uh, Timberwolves. It's here. it's a hell of a way to try to build a team around Donovan Mitchell. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, last and not least, uh, last notable jabroni, Israel Adesanya, who recently culturally appropriated the Undertaker. <laughs> In his intro, using the Undertaker's walkout music, his fit. Um, well, most of his fit. Yeah. He wore the hat, but you said he didn't wear He the... didn't wear a duster. You got to wear a duster. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you got to wear if a you're duster. you're not coming out on the motorcycle, <laughs> you at least got to well, come out. That's the... American badass Adesanya. <laughs> that's Attitude Era. <laughs> it felt like a karaoke version of an intro. Yeah, it was like, a little empty, but it was it was still cool to do it. It's always cool to do it in an arena. Yeah, I thought it was like kind of cool to do like a you know a tribute to an old WWE star, but I don't know, a black guy doing like one of the more redneck um, wrestlers of all time, redneck just, science denier. <laughs> <laughs> it felt kind of weird. All right, uh, we're done with you, Israel Adesanya. Moving on to not a jabroni, our Hall of Fame inductee. 
Junko Tabai. Junko Ishibashi was born September 22, 1939, the fifth daughter of seven children. She was considered to be a frail child, but that would not stop her from going on class climbing trip to Mount Nasu when she was just 10. Junko instantly fell in love with the striking views from the top, as well as the non-competitive nature of the sport. Unfortunately, Junko's family could not afford su such an expensive hobby, and she only made a handful of climbs during her time in high school. She attended Showa Women's University from 1958 to 1962, where she studied to become a teacher, but after graduation, she returned to her passion for climbing. Junko joined a number of men's climbing clubs, and while many welcomed her, some men questioned her motives for pursuing a male-dominated sport. When she was 27, Junko met a fellow climber, Masanabu Tabai, during the excursion of Mount Tanegawa. The two married and eventually had two children. Junko established the Joshi Tohan Club, a women's mountaineering club, in 1969 for women only. The club slogan was, Let's go on an overseas expedition by ourselves. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a direct shot at the men who refused to climb alongside women. To fund her climbing lifestyle, Junko worked as an editor for the Journal of the Physical Society of Japan. The Joshi Toan Club embarked on her first climb, embarked on their first climb in 1970, climbing the Nepalese mountain Annapurna 3. Junko and fellow climber Hiroko Hirakawa made the final ascent to complete the climb, achieving the first female and the first Japanese ascent of Annapurna 3. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Plant the flag. <laughs> After laying waste to their first mountain, Junko decided to take on Mount Everest. She and her club created a team known as the Japanese Women's Everest Expedition, comprised of working women from a range of professions. They applied for a climbing permit in 1971, but had to wait four years to receive a place in the climbing schedule. In the meantime, Junko taught piano lessons to help raise the funds she and her group needed, but she also found ways to save money. Junko made a lot of her own equipment from scratch. She created waterproof gloves out of the cover of her car and sewed climbing pants from old curtains. After a long time training, the JWEE finally began their Everest expedition in May of 1975. The 15 women were followed by journalists and TV cameras as they began their climb. But on May 4th, while the team was camping at 20,000 feet, an avalanche struck their camp. Uh-oh. Yeah. Junko and four of her fellow climbers were buried in the snow. The Sherpas dug out an unconscious Tabai, and luckily there were no casualties. Junko could barely walk and was severely bruised, but after two days spent recovering, she continued to lead her team up the mountain. The JWEE originally planned to send two women with two Sherpas to the peak of Everest, but after a bout of altitude sickness, there was only enough oxygen canisters for one woman to finish the climb. Junko was nominated to finish the climb, and while that made her happy, she was furious to find out she had to cross a thin, hazardous ridge of ice that had gone unmentioned in accounts by previous expeditions. She was forced to crawl along the ridge on her side, later describing it as the most intense experience in her life. A whole 12 days after the avalanche, with her Sherpa Aang Sering, Tabai became the first woman to summit Everest. Whew. 
that scares the shit out of me. Like like those movies that do that, like with like cliffhanger and stuff. Yeah, like Ace uh, Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like the saddest moment in all of movie history. Like I was like, the raccoon! But, <laughs> the trash panda is going to die. <laughs> but imagine, imagine like not having that mentioned in any accounts and you're like, the hell? <laughs> the tyranny of man. Yeah, the tyranny of man. <laughs> all right. Junka was an instant celebrity. A parade in Kathmandu was held in her honor, and thousands of fans showed up upon her arrival in Tokyo. She received letters from the King of Nepal and the Japanese government, making personal appearances throughout Japan, and a TV miniseries was made about their expedition. Tobai later admitted she was uncomfortable with the fame and preferred to be known as the 36th person to summit Everest, stating, quote, and this is exactly... I did not intend to be the first woman on Everest. (laughs) Well, hell yeah. Junko continued her mountaineering quests, eventually toppling the highest mountains on every continent. She had set a personal goal of climbing the highest mountain in every country. And in her lifetime, she summited 70 of them. Wow. Amazingly, Tobai never accepted corporate sponsorship after her Mount Everest climb staying financially independent by making public appearances, guiding climbing tours, and tutoring children in music and English. By 2005, Tobai had taken part in 44 all-female climbing expeditions all around the world. That's amazing. From 1996 to 2008, Junko wrote and published seven books, and in 2000, she completed a postgraduate study focusing on the environmental degradation of Everest caused by the waste left behind by climbing groups. Following the Great Japan Earthquake in 2011, Tobai began giving guided excursions up Mount Fuji for school children affected by the disaster. Tobai was diagnosed with stomach cancer in 2012, but she continued about her usual mountaineering. On October 20th, 2016, Junko Tobai succumbed to her cancer. Before her death, an astronomer named asteroid 6897 Tabai was named after her, and in 2019, a mountain range on Pluto was named the Tabai Montes. The theme for naming ranges on Pluto is historic pioneers who cross new horizons in the exploration of the Earth, sea, and sky. Fittingly, Junko Tabai reached the highest point where Earth meets sky, and her legacy continues even further, making her an undoubted legend. Absolutely. Truly a legend. Top notch. Like, the coolest. And she even got to use that teaching degree after all to help her raise funds for her Yeah, which is just genius. <laughs> it all fit together. She was just so, like, practical. Like, <laughs> And I like that she was DIY. Yeah. Like, no corporate sponsorship. <laughs> you made waterproof gloves Punk on car <laughs> <laughs> You're like, straight up anarchist. Like, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Yeah, she did quite a quite a few things, and pretty proud of you know inducting her. Uh, she helped build like an incinerator at the base of Everest that helps people burn their trash. Nice, like so it's just gone. <laughs> I do like that she was an environmentalist on the side of doing these expeditions. Yeah. All right. Took it to buy. Truly a legend. Moving on to our scoreboard stumper answer. Okay, uh, I wanted to know how many times in MLB history has a cycle being hit been capped off 
with a walk-off home run. Was it 6, 10, or 13? I'm saying third, unlucky 13. It is six. Wow, only six only times. Only six times. That's it's, a good stump. Here's, a, here's an even, even crazier stat. It's been capped off with a with a inside the park home run before. Like that's I was like whoa. So that's does that happen in our lifetime? I feel like I've seen that. No, I don't think oh, so. Okay. But like the cycle capped off with that. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like I'm getting that home run. You're like I'm getting a triple, and you're like oh shit. <laughs> by the time you're round second, you're going for it out of the gate. Actually, probably by the time you're round second, you're like I'm going for that. I'm going for the cycle. <laughs> I got this. Incredible. Six times. Yeah. All right. Um, and moving on to uh, chasing the Mendoza line. Uh, first up, a mainstay on the program, Spencer Torkelson. Yeah, Spence. Spence, uh, Troy third baseman. He's up two more points this week, up to 195. He's only five of his last 23, but when you're chasing the Mendoza line, that's, um, every little bit helps. That's, that's where it is. That's where, that's where you dwell. Yeah. Yeah, not really the most notable this week, but he is—he has moved up. You know, he is the closest to reaching it at 195. You should now. just switch back to hockey. Just play some senior whale shit hockey. Come I on, don't care. Ten- <laughs> tennis misses you, bro. Okay, uh, next up, a uh, newbie and a uh, well-deserved newbie. When you hear the stats, Jorge Mateo, uh, Baltimore shortstop. Oh, okay. He's down to 194. He's five of his last 40. Oh, with 15 strikeouts. Holy. Good for a 125 average. He's two of his last 17. Jorge Mateo. And to, surprisingly, he's not, he's not the standout on the list this week. <laughs> <laughs> we have another newbie. Miles Straw. Oh, Miles Straw. Clagardian center fielder. Center fielder. The Clagardians. He's 193 this year. Mm-hmm. He is seven of his last 48 with 16 strikeouts for a 146 average. And in the last week, he is one of his last 19 for an 053 average. Holy smokes. To top it all off, he also has an 053 slugging in the past week because <laughs> he doesn't hit for power at all. This guy has zero home runs in 275 official at-bats this season. Yeah, he started the season hot as a leadoff man for the Guardians because it, they would stack their lineup. Uh, Straw, Quan, um, Ramirez. And so he saw a lot of strikes. He probably. saw, he saw, yeah, he saw a lot of fastballs and he was, you know, hitting singles and then it's coming around to score a lot. But then he, he fell off. I've watched him in, in fantasy drop from a leadoff hitter to a number eight hitter and solidly a number eight hitter. And they're, unfortunately, they're fucked because he's, all they have defensively. <laughs> they got him from the Astros big time and they thought he was going to pan out. Hopefully Miles he can turn it around. Yeah. Miles Straw. Wow. All right. And then um, the usual suspects down in the basement here. Um, Trent Grisham. Grish, as they call him. Trent. Grish is uh, back down three more points from 191 um, back to 188. So he was 188 two weeks ago, and um, that's where he's back again. He's four of his last 24 with eight strikeouts and two home runs. But hey, I mean, he's, you got to get slugging. But you don't like to see <laughs> twice as many strikeouts as hits. Never good. And last, and certainly least, 
Funky Muncie. Max Muncie remains to be, you know, dwelling in the cellar. He's impressive. He's up three points to 163 because he hit 167 last week. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's bad when you hit 167, your average goes your up average three goes up. <laughs> He's four of his last 24 with two walks, two home runs, and 10 strikeouts. <laughs> I wanted to mention walks because Scotty always likes to talk about his redeeming quality being how many walks he has. But he only has two walks in his past 26. Yeah, um, he's on plate he's, appearances. He's on my bench. <laughs> but four hits and 10 strikeouts. Ouch. Still yeah. hitting the homers, but yikes, man. Yeah. 163 for Max Muncie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but he hit 167 last week, so. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. <laughs> All right, moving on to church. We've got a confessional. Um, this ties into one of our previous Hall of Fame inductees and deep dives, Bobby Bonilla. Um, apparently, we didn't we didn't know this, but apparently, he, in addition to getting an annual payday from the New York Mets, famously, yeah, he also gets an annual payday from the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, um, oh, sorry, happy belated Bobby Bonilla day. <laughs> That's right. We just say it. that ten times fast, um, but. So yeah, he gets paid by the Mets a million dollars every July first till twenty thirty five, as we've established in our past induction. But we did not know that he also gets five hundred thousand dollars a year from the Orioles <laughs> <laughs> until twenty twenty eight. Jesus man, like. This just establishes even further how much we love Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> yeah, and in case you missed that one, make sure you go uh, check that one out. Bobby Bonilla, um, one of our previous Hall of Fame inductees. Certainly not a Junko Dubai. No. But, you know, a great story nonetheless. Um, moving on to other parts of church, we'll get into thoughts and prayers. We'll start with uh, Hank Goldberg. Uh, thoughts and prayers to the family of Hank Goldberg. Um, ESPN specialist. Um, yeah, you got some thoughts on him. Yeah, he was he was like a master at calling odds. Um, you'd always see him the, like the whole morning of like you know Kentucky Derby and Belmont Stakes, all those animal abuse events. Um, and he would. <laughs> He could call. He could call a winner, but like you know, like famously, he called like a thirty-six to one odd. He like called it out, like to start the day, called a thirty-six to one odds uh, winner at Belmont Stakes, and he cashed out. Big. He's like if Mel Kiper actually knew what he was doing. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's a good guy too, and just a familiar face, and it's saying goodbye to him. So, all right, thoughts and prayers, your family, Hank Goldberg. Unfortunately, we have another thoughts and prayers. Uh, Thoughts and prayers to Blue Jays coach Mark Budzinski. Um, he just took a leave after his daughter Julia died in a tubing accident. Absolutely. Just That's awful. just so tragic. It's so, just 17. 17. So thoughts and prayers to you, Mark Budzinski, and your family. Um, and then, as usual, we try to turn it around with some shampoo. shampoo. Yeah. All right. Um, let's lift our spirits with shampoo. Uh, first one up, Jessica Campbell. Shampoo. She became the first woman AHL assistant coach. Yeah, for the uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. But 
you know, big shampoo. Uh, we got, you know, women on the bench now. Let's do this. Yes. Speaking of hockey benches, uh, another shampoo goes out to Mike Greer, who became the first black NHL head coach. Yeah. Sharks, right? Yeah. He, for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, his brother is the GM of the Dolphins, I think. <laughs> Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Mike Greer also played in the NHL. He was quite a force. He was awesome. Incredible. Shampoo to you, Mike Greer. Shampoo. Then last shampoo, we're going to cover a little bit of the hot dog eating competition. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so Joey Chestnut won his 15th. 15th. Not Nathan's hot dog the eating Tom contest. Tom Brady of eating competitions. Is <laughs> the Joe Lewis of <laughs> Bill Russell of eating competitions. Well, he's a Joe Lewis after this one because there was a, a protester who came up on stage during the contest <laughs> and Joey Chestnut straight choked him out and then continued to whoop everybody's ass. In- Speaking of WWE, that's like when the guy's about to win the belt at WrestleMania and then some guy tries to come up and like, like derail the match yeah and then he just gets stone cold stunned <laughs> and the guy still wins the match yeah so good shit right there joey chestnut with the rko out of nowhere <laughs> um uh, and then still wolf down 60 hot dogs um and then we also have a shampoo to, to miki sudo um she won the women's contest shampoo. for her eighth time and she's part of the first family of eating competitions I believe. I, I, I guess so. Her husband. She has a daughter or son. She has a child and her um, husband does eating competitions. I was just reading about that. Wow. So. I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know where the, the eating thing was going to be a generational thing. <laughs> well, their kid does it, but they're the first family because of the marriage, I guess. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, sorry, she's a dynasty too. But the funny thing is, she took a year off because she was she was maternal leave. There you go. And then she came back to whoop everyone's ass, which made me think, like, wait, did they take a year off for twenty twenty for like the pandemic? Like, did you do like, did you have to eat it in front of a judge on like Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> they had some serious Uber Eats bills that year. I bet. Yeah. All right. All right. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly podcast and check out our other episodes available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Legends of Sportsball. You can also find us on Twitter at L Sportsball. That's at the letter L, Sportsball. Make sure to become a member of our, of our Facebook group, The Best and Worst of Sports Twitter, a subsidiary of Tripbook, to join the conversation and revel in sport in real time. Tune in Thursday, July 21st, as we induct... John Cruck. Thank you once again for listening to Legends of Sports Ball. May the sports be with you. Always. Always.